0: How close or how much consideration did you give to taking a quarterback? Because this was the highest that the Atlanta Falcons had drafted in 13 years. And, they're, and you hope you're never back in that position, right? So sure. sometimes organizations will say, even though we still like Matt and we still want him to be our quarterback – we have to, at this position, draft a quarterback for the future because there's not many success stories that come out of the late into first-round superstar quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, so obviously everything when we got, Terry and I got to Atlanta, uh, you know, everything was on the table. And so we did our due diligence and all the, the quarterbacks or anybody we thought that would be available at number four, and it is a big decision, but – it was a very unusual year there's a couple of things you know it, there was a lot of quarterbacks and this is and and who knows you know how the future uh, plays out for all those guys but just because you're you're picking the top 5 doesn't guarantee you'll get the right quarterback
0: All right welcome into the Chris Collinsworth podcast our friend Richard Sherman still trying to figure out exactly where he's going to play football or broadcast on television. (laughs) Who knows where that's going to be? But uh, we certainly wish him well. Uh, We've got a great program for you here today. Um, The Atlanta Falcons new head coach, Arthur Smith, is our guest. And for those of you who don't know Arthur, his father is Fred Smith, who is the founder and current CEO of uh, FedEx. So you can imagine the life that he grew up with. He was a football player. He was an all-state high school player, played guard, went on to play in college, had an injury, got into coaching. Uh, unfortunately, he was also uh, a coach at FedEx Field. So your father's company is on the stadium where you're coaching. So he had to make the decision to quit, move on to somewhere else, start at the bottom of the bottom, and begin to work his way back up, which is exactly what he's done. And now, after an incredible stint as offensive coordinator, uh, the Tennessee Titans, now he's the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. And the story really doesn't stop there because the Julio Jones trade back to his original team, the Tennessee Titans, was a part of the whole offseason discussion. Uh, Kyle Pitts, the incredible tight end out of Florida was a draft choice. Did they ever consider taking a quarterback there to re- ultimately replace Matt Ryan? Because very seldom have the Atlanta Falcons drafted at the number four position overall. And of course, the news of the week really is Carl Nassib coming out as the first openly gay player uh, an active gay player in the national football league so we have a lot to discuss today and we're looking forward to this conversation with the atlanta falcons head coach arthur smith Well, it's our uh, privilege here to have the new head football coach of the Atlanta Falcons, Arthur Smith, on our program. And Arthur, first of all, congratulations, man. This is, uh, this is a a great opportunity for you. I know you've, you've slugged your way through, uh, many a place and many an opportunity and did all the, uh, the classic quality control jobs and all the different things you had to do college and NFL to get here. That's to feel pretty good.
1: Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Yes, I, I feel very fortunate to be in this spot, and uh, it's exciting. is exciting. an exciting place to be, and, and like I said, I just feel extremely fortunate to get this opportunity.
0: You know, there are so many different things to, to talk about with you and, and your journey uh, up the ladder, but you started off, you were a guard, right? You played on the offensive line. An all-state guard coming out in high school, uh, go to North Carolina. Unfortunately, had a bit of a had foot surgery, I think, in, in your first year of playing there, uh, and and really it didn't go on from there. You did at that point. Did you kind of begin to think, well, maybe I would like to do some of this coaching?
1: Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'd always wanted to stay in football as long as possible. Yeah, I, I always joke, I, I you know. I got to work with Bruce Matthews, but Bruce was a guy I looked up to, and I was like, "Damn, he played 19 years in offensive line, and, and and that was kind of my, you know, every every lineman's dream." I was I looked up to, and uh, it, but it, it comes to an end at some point, and it definitely put a new perspective when I got uh, the foot injury, and ironically, uh, Robert Anderson was the one that that fixed it. Really, so I had a couple surgeries, and then I went down to Charlotte and just and. Uh, it's a small world now. now. He's become such a vital part of, of the NFL world. When guys have foot and ankle injuries, they now they go up to Green Bay to see him. But I'm always very thankful for Dr. Anderson.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's been such a an interesting journey for you. Where um, Basically, you became a graduate assistant at North Carolina. Learned mm-hmm. right away what coaching is about right because you guys got yep. fired collectively as a group there John <laughs> Bunning lost his job um, and did you ever think at, at that point that you know maybe I'm just gonna have to go do something else that this this coaching thing may not work out
1: well I certainly saw the probably the ugliest side of, of the coaching profession that year I was a graduate assistant and like I said I you know I was you know once I was done playing I wanted to be a a College coach. I had grown up going to the Orange Bowl. Um, and so I had always been a huge college football fan and that was kind of my goal. And then I, that first year, I was like, all right, well, this didn't really uh, work out, but, uh, uh, and I was like, all right, I knew I wanted to stay in football and I, and I had a uh, scouting internship up in Washington. So I thought that was going to be my path until it all changed about four months into the job. And Joe Gibbs asked me to come back over to the coaching side to do the uh, defensive quality control breakdown.
0: Yeah, you, you had that job a couple of different places. You kind of bounced around it. And, and I, I, you know, the funny thing about it is I, I think it's in part your own humility. Not everybody knows your family history, right? The fact that your your dad, Fred, was the CEO and founder of FedEx, and you come from a family with nine different siblings, and I, I'm sure every one of them have a very different path uh, in their lifetime. But being a football coach – It was has to be a little bit different. Was anybody else in your family in sports? Were they are they currently in sports? Is there any other sibling involved?
1: No, but my brothers and I we all grew up playing football. Uh, My younger brother uh, was actually started out as a quarterback in Miami and then transferred to Memphis and became a safety. He had a a pretty quick position change, quite like yourself. So he didn't go to receiver. Got that right. Oh, I did. I did. I didn't realize you had one of the longest touchdown passes in college football history. Is that correct?
0: I did. My first 99 game, 99 yards. First game I ever played, I tied the record. Right? You can't have longer. You can have a 109-yard kickoff return. Right. But the longest pass is 99 yards. So I'm one of like six guys, so it's always like the ultimate trivia question. Good question that everybody thinks I caught it. But anybody who knows how slow I was didn't think I ran ninety nine yards anyway. So then it ended up. Right. The, finally, they. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was to through it.
1: Now, were you and in, in Milwaukee in the same recruiting class?
0: Um, yeah. Mike- boy, that's If we weren't in the exact same, we were close. Uh, I spent a lot of time with Mike Malarkey, who I yeah. know was, uh, had a role in your, your, uh, your come up the ladder as well, because he was one of the head coaches, one of many head coaches at Tennessee that kept you on and kept you in place there. Yeah. But Moo was a, uh, he was one of my boys at the University of Florida. Yeah. yeah.
1: No, I just thought it was because both of y'all were quarterbacks coming out, correct? And then. Yeah. 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 So he went tight end and then you went, you went wide out. So. Yeah, they, um, at the
0: time that I was at Florida, um, Steve Spurrier, we were a wishbone team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the reason I signed there. I was like an option quarterback. And then Steve Spurrier came in my sophomore year as offensive coordinator, and he took one look at my arm and he goes, how do you feel about wide receiver there, big (laughs) guy? So (laughs) flipped over and it ended up being the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I had never made it as a quarterback, but had like 10 touchdowns as a sophomore under Spurrier. And, And then, believe it or not, my next coordinator my senior year was Mike Shanahan. So Shanahan's 26 years old, and he literally is getting carded at every bar we would go to after games, and we're just strolling right in with no problem at all. And now Shanahan goes on to be one of the greatest coaches of all time, and Malarkey ends up as a head coach, and Spurrier, we know that story. So Yeah, that's awesome. You'd have thought we'd been good. We just still weren't very good. Oh, You, um, this, this is a great, um, story to tell. Um, and and I don't know. I'm sure you, you hate telling the story, but for every person who grew up with a famous father, and I'm going to throw my kids into the mix here a little bit as well. Um, they're, 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 there are bad things that come with that, right? There's, there's an assumption that anything that you do was somehow given to you. There's an assumption that you're not going to be a hard worker because your family has money. There's assumptions that work against you all along that path. Can you just give me a little bit of the story of, of when you were in Washington and basically decided to quit because you know, FedEx field was the name on the stadium there and you wanted to blaze your own trail, right?
1: Yeah, no, I know after, you know, getting, I I guess it it, it's definitely opens a lot of opportunities up for you. There's no question about that. And you got to take advantage of them. I mean, you've seen it the other way where people, uh, they waste a lot of good opportunities provided for them in life, whether, you know, certain schools or, you get your foot in the door in a certain industry. Um, I just knew if I was legitimately going to move up that I needed to get out of Washington. Um, I, I, you know, it was an unbelievable start. Got to work with some really good coaches, uh, you know, worked under Joe Gibbs at in that 07 season, which was a very unique year for multiple reasons. And then the transition to, to Jim Zorn and we, the defensive staff pretty much stayed intact, um, and then i you know greg bosch and jerry gray were two guys that really helped me out and so i but i just knew that you know it kind of run my course there and needed to go somewhere else
0: Yeah, you you ended up going down uh, as a defensive intern at Ole Miss. Correct. And I think it was Mike Munchak who talked you back into the offensive side. Obviously, you played guard. I think you played a little defense along the way, but most of your career was at guard. Talked you back into the offensive side. And it's it's interesting to me how many offensive linemen-type players – End up being head coaches or offensive coordinators because if you don't understand those five count the tight ends, six guys up there and protection schemes, you don't have a chance to run an offense.
1: Yeah, it definitely um, gives you a. I mean, we're all, you know, we go to our own personal experiences and, but try to see it through multiple spots. But it definitely helps when you're in the offensive line. You definitely understand that it, the function of the five guys and what it takes up front and how the communication needs to go and really how that unit needs to gel in order for an offense to be successful. And so, you know, I I feel fortunate to to have been on defense for four seasons, uh, three in the NFL and one in college football. That was very beneficial to me as well. Just some of the things that we had to defend that year I was in college and some of the issues that you have in that game and how it translates and the kind of players that are coming through at the time. And then uh, Mike Munchak, I can't say enough good things about him. The year I, I drew the protections for him and the conversations that uh, he would have with me as he would rent pin those protections, it, it taught me a lot. So I feel very fortunate, you know, Mike and then um, Russ Grimm was another guy that had a huge impact. Russ is one of the smarter football coaches I've been around, another O-lineman. Maybe I'm biased there, but uh, it definitely it definitely helps having that perspective.
0: Russ Grimm's still one of my all-time favorites when he was coaching in the Super Bowl. He came out because Bruce Springsteen, you know, the Super Bowl halftime yeah. lasts like 45 minutes. <laughs> so, and, and so Bruce Springsteen's playing, and all of a sudden you see Russ sneaking over into the – <laughs> back out on the field so
1: you can watch Bruce Springsteen. It was great. Yeah. Oh, he's uh, yeah another guy that uh, was your era. Of, uh, as a player uh, I've worked with a lot of guys in your era that, that have all been had a huge impact on my coaching career.
0: Yeah. You, um, but it was interesting. So Mike loses his job there. He's the one that got you started. Um, mm-hmm. Ken Wisenhunt comes in, takes over as a head coach. He retains you, gives you the opportunity as a tight end coach to come in there. Of course, Wiz knew a little something about that. Another tight end right behind him, and Mike Malarkey took over for Wiz and Hunt, and he's the one that gives you an opportunity to to continue on. Then Mike Vrabel comes in, and Mike Vrabel keeps you on as a head coach, still or as a coach in Tennessee, and then ultimately your big shot comes when Matt LaFleur gets the, goes from offensive coordinator to head coach of the Green Bay Packers. And I, I've heard Vrabel tell this story of you sitting there at his desk or calling him or whatever it was mm-hmm. that you came in, you wanted that job. You felt like at that time that you were ready for that job. Tell me about what you did with Mike, to contact him and basically apply for the job.
1: Yeah, so when when Mike Rabel retained me, um, you know, it was a question he asked me when we interviewed down at the Senior Bowl. What was my long term goals? So I had told him what my long term goals were. I, I wanted to be an offensive coordinator and eventually be a head coach. So it wasn't coming out of left field uh, when Matt got that Green Bay job. He and I had texted. Um, I believe that I asked him, you know, was he going to be in the office the next day? He said he was because we were kind of on a, on a break there. right after the season, usually, you know, people get out of there for about a week or so. And so I, I had come in, I, I had typed up some some stuff about my philosophies, about, you know, leadership, offensive philosophies, how to, how to uh, you know, run a staff and all the things that would entail being the offensive coordinator. And I had just printed out, I had it ready. And, and he and I sat down and talked for a few hours. And then, you know, he he had talked to other people and went through his process, and thankfully he gave me that opportunity.
0: Yeah, it was, uh, ended up being good for him <laughs> because you, you come in and it was, uh, you end up in 2019 after taking over and turned that Titans team into the highest scoring team they'd had there since, uh, for 16 years. Um, create a great opportunity for you as well. But I, I think one of the guys that will be forever linked to you now is Ryan Tannehill. Uh, Ryan comes over and was okay. I mean, he was a solid quarterback in Miami and, But he comes there with you, and not only do you take Tannehill, but you also take Derrick Henry. And in the two years that you're there, Derrick Henry leads the National Football League in rushing. So there's a very defined kind of what you're trying to get done, at least with that football team. Tell me a little about Tannehill and Henry and and what your vision was when you got started there.
1: Well, you know, that's another thing I'll always be going back a little bit. Why I always will be very uh, loyal and, and grateful to Mike Rabel because the way that 19 years started, you know, we were kind of in transition. We, you know, Marcus Mariota was still our starting quarterback. And, right. and I love Marcus and, and got all the respect in the world from him. And, you know, the, the way the season went, we started out with a big win over Cleveland, uh, lost a close one the next week, didn't play on Thursday night very well at all. Came back ironically to Atlanta, and we were about two and two. And in the next two weeks, we did not play well, and so we went through a uh, quarterback transition. So there were a lot of lessons learned, and and uh, I can't say enough about Mike Rabel's leadership during that time. And then we transitioned to Ryan, and then uh, we we won a couple close games, I believe, against the Chargers and the Bucks, and then kind of took off from there. Uh, so kind of got to experience a lot in the the first. Month and a half of the, of the season and, uh, came out the other side and, it really just be Ryan took that role and, and probably, and I don't want to speak for Ryan, but if he had a different perspective too, cause we had traded for him. So it wasn't like he had chosen to come to Tennessee and he had to sit as a backup. And so it gave him a different perspective and different role. And when he took over, it just clicked and it fit. And, uh, what we want to do, I, I thought really fit his skill set and, and really Derek, it was, Practicality, you know, Derek is is a uh, outlier, and the number of carries he has, and when he gets going, it's uh, it's impressive to watch. So it all kind of gelled together. But there was some adversity that went along the way before that too, that that gave me a great appreciation for the job.
0: What What, what do you think? Now, obviously, you can watch Derek Henry and go, "Yeah, I'd give him the ball too." But uh, you know, with Tannehill. Coming in, and one of the first games I remember him playing, or maybe it wasn't, but I just remember this play, was he ran for the end zone and sort of dove over the top and flipped his way into the end zone. And the yeah. team kind of went crazy, right? And and in my mind, I was like, that may just be the moment for him that the team sort of becomes his.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was against Jacksonville he, on a keeper. Um, and that was that was the – cool thing about Ryan's skill set is, is he, he is a great athlete. And most of these guys already play quarterbacks. So, you know, he, he Ryan can run with the football. And uh he took off and you know these men turned their back to him and got out of there and it was about a twenty yard gain and he did. He he got hit and he kinda helicoptered over. Really that one and then the, the two point play he had against uh, Kansas City in the game at home, which was a which was a crazy game and we went back and forth and uh and he, he went into the end zone and he took a heck of a shot and uh, got in for us, and it, it was a huge play. Put us up by three. And, uh, but those two plays really stick out, kind of his early run there.
0: Yeah, it, so as much fun as it is to talk about Tennessee, and I know that was home for you for a long time and, and for your kids, and, but this opportunity is, is really something uh, in Atlanta. Unfortunately, you get to Atlanta, and talk about salary cap hell. I mean, everybody knew it, right? You didn't have enough money to sign your draft choices uh, for this coming year. So then the Julio Jones conversation all starts. Um, Can you give us a little bit of the take of how long it took you once you had gotten there to understand that you were going to have to make some big moves financially with this football team to get it realigned?
1: Yeah, I think pretty early on. Uh, once Terry and I got started down there, I mean, the situation, I mean, the reality we knew the, the issue with the cap and then obviously the cap went down this year, you know, coming off the uh, bizarre year, you know, you're dealing with a pandemic, the cap actually shrunk. So we knew there was going to be some big decisions we'd have to make coming up. And so in uh, the way everything worked out, we, we feel pretty good. I mean, I think it's pretty much well uh, documented now that, we feel like it was a win-win you know with with the salary cap and and julio going to tennessee and and us right right now being able to solve our short-term issue with the cap so and we still got some other moves you know down the line you're gonna have to address but uh feel really good about where, where we're at right now and going into the summer Yeah, you
0: know, it's interesting with your family and growing up I, i'm sure budgeting and money and running a business and all of that i mean it, the nfl really is now with the salary cap it's all about resources allocating resources budgeting how do you plan ahead how do you plan for injuries uh, some of that business background that you grew up with has to help you some in this job today
1: well it certainly helps um uh you know, I've talked to talk to my dad about things about leadership and management and coming up with plans for the future. Um, you know, he doesn't get into the X's and O's and I sure, certainly don't get into the airplane logistics with him either, supply <laughs> chain <laughs> issues. But um it, it it is it is nice, Chris, to be able to have those conversations and not just a father son role, but hopefully, you know, look looking at him as a as a business mentor. So Uh, Yeah, and that's what the challenge I love about the NFL is, you know, it's so competitive week to week, and the margin of error is so small, and I love the strategy behind it, too.
0: Anybody who's ever made the final jump to head coach always has a little story to tell of, and you really haven't even gotten started in this one yet, but, you know— I I got into coaching for this, right? I loved it. I love being with the players. I love coaching the details. I love studying the film. I love putting together the game plans. I love, you know, across the board. And then you become a head coach. And Mm -hmm. now you are everything, every time somebody catches a cold, every time somebody has something going on with their family, every time there's any issue within the team, any time that they want to change something with the travel arrangement, it all flows through your office. And Mm -hmm. as even in these early stages of it, have you started to feel the change that comes with being a head coach?
1: Yeah, you, you do. And again, I, I, had worked with, uh, for enough guys and had some good conversations going on the job, but at least he gave me some perspective and I knew what I would kind of sign it up for. The worst thing you do is take a job and act like you're some kind of victim because you get this new set of problems, which is ridiculous because like you're, you're talking about, everything is going to run through your office and, uh, I embrace it. Certainly, you know, some days, you know, you have more than others that come across your desk and you just got to be able to make quick decisions and, and you got to be able to a lot of time and and do a really good job with time management so you can get to the stuff back to football that that also comes along with being a head coach Um, but it's definitely it hits you pretty quick there's no doubt about it
0: well, I would say you are ready for it. Speaking of getting back to football, I, I do want to ask you a little bit about your team this year because this is—it's it, such an interesting sort of transition. There were a lot of people that were uncertain as to whether or not the Atlanta Falcons were going to draft a quarterback this year uh, with the the number. Uh, for position, Mac Jones was there. Justin Fields was certainly there. Uh, you could have traded back still and probably gotten either one of those. How close or how much consideration did you give to taking a quarterback? Because this was the highest that the Atlanta Falcons had drafted in 13 years and they're, and you hope you're never back in that position, right? So sure. sometimes organizations will say, even though we still, like Matt, and we still want him to be our quarterback, we have to, at this position, draft a quarterback for the future because there's not many success stories that come out of the late into first-round superstar quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, so obviously everything when we got, Terry and I got to Atlanta, uh, you know, everything was on the table. And so we did our due diligence and all the the quarterbacks or anybody we thought that would be available – at number four, and it is a big decision, but it was a very unusual year. There's a couple of things, you know, it, there was a lot of quarterbacks and this is and, and who knows, you know, how the future uh, plays out for all those guys. But just because you're, you're picking the top five doesn't guarantee you'll get the right quarterback. And so, you know, you know, if you're number four, do you get the first quarterback in the draft. Well, that certainly wasn't the case this year. Right. I mean, you go back to 2008 and they were number three and they selected Matt Ryan after uh, Jake Long and Chris Long. He was the first quarterback taken. and You know, the first quarterback has taken the draft, give or take. It's about 50 50, whether that pans out for multiple reasons. And then as you go on down the line there. So, you know, just kind of bucking conventional wisdom. You're right. I mean, there is a you've got to look hard at it. And we did. And uh, but we feel very good about Kyle Pitts and, and what that does for the future, uh, there's a lot of different models to look at. You can look at what uh, Andy Reid did when he got to Kansas City, took over a 2-14 and 14 team in 2012 and 2013, and uh, they got Alex Smith, and they, they had a great run. And then that team was, was well-suited when they traded up to, to make the transition to Pat Mahomes. He certainly walked in there, and that's a big part of it, too. Is you got to make sure it's the right environment when you do make that change to quarterback uh, with the young quarterback. Certainly I would. you can make a strong argument that Matt had, was certainly helped by having a veteran center in there and Todd McClure. He, he, he had Roddy White. They got Tony Gonzalez the second year. That certainly helps a young quarterback with some stability. And I know there's a lot of different. I mean, you look at the Peyton Manning route, you know, he certainly played early, took his lumps, and then took off. So everything was on the table, Chris. Um, and there's no knock to any quarterback we didn't take or, or, you know, may have would have taken if they had fallen. And That's not a knock to them. It's just we feel good about our strategy. And we feel very confident in that run right now.
0: Um, And now you, without Julio, who I'm I'm sure they were – sort of like the ultimate going away present you threw back to Tennessee but something that uh, is, is going to fit that team nicely and nobody knows that that better than you do but you also sort of have a replacement part right now right you've got that big body receiver to go along with some of the smaller quicker moves of a, of a Calvin Redley uh, but how does a Kyle Pitts fit in right away because you were known for playing a lot of tight ends in Tennessee uh, John who's Smith ends up going to New England, but there were three different tight ends that were always a part of the mix down there. But Kyle Pitts is a different animal, right? I mean, he is he is one of those unique kind of characters in football that a lot of people now, myself included, can't wait to see what all you have planned for him.
1: Yeah, Kyle uh, is certainly a unique player. Um, you know, I, I, there's not a not a Florida tight end bias. I would I would say. I mean, you could, you could try to make that argument. Um, but he he is, and, he, and they played him all over the place. I, I was really impressed watching the uh, the film. What what Dan Mullen did and how they used him at Florida. Because usually you're you're pretty skeptical when you see a tight end graded that high, and and you're you're watching the film and you're doing your due do diligence, and you realize he's a very unique player. And he can do more than what a traditional tight end could do. But. Uh, like I said, what we put on Kyle's plate so far, we, we've got high expectations for him, and, and he's got the right mindset. And we'll, we'll let it play out organically. We'll bring him around the right way, because, uh, and he knows that. So we're, we're definitely excited about, about using Kyle in the right way.
0: Yeah, he the thing that impressed me, I, I always thought with him going down the field – It was almost anything was possible, you know, seams, goes, whatever the case may be, the catch radius, he would always be able to flip around and make the catch and huge arms and all the different things. Sometimes it's harder for those big, tall, rangy guys to be stop and go route runners as well. So I would say of what I saw from him on film, I would have thought a little bit more of anything vertical down the field, slants, whatever you want to talk about, he's got that. You know, let's let's turn him into a route runner on some of the stop and come back to the quarterback kind of guys.
1: Yeah, certainly we'll, we'll try to push the limits with Kyle. And, and like I said, he, he's a very mature guy. For He's only 20 years old, uh, played three years. It's a, it's a great credit to to his family and everybody that he's been around to him. And uh, I just certainly wasn't as mature as Kyle was at 20 years old. But we're uh, like, excited. And like we we're talking about, I mean, his, his route tree was definitely impressive. But Florida and what we've seen so far, I, I think we'll continue to try to push the limits for him.
0: A, a lot of people – so you, you've traded Julio, uh, who's one of the great players in the history of the league. Yeah, I mean, he he's, he's going to be – and you knew that. And I, everybody understands exactly what was happening had some injury issues, uh, and what it did, though, was it gave you an opportunity to see what was next. So a lot was put on Calvin Ridley last year, uh, and he answered the bell. He had eight games over 100 yards, uh, including four of the last five, and five of those eight came when Julio wasn't in the lineup. So I've heard the argument. Okay, it's a big deal to go from being the number two receiver to the number one receiver now without the protection of Julio. But he has really sort of proven himself as a number one guy without Julio in the lineup, hasn't he?
1: Well, they're different players. I, I think that's uh, again, it goes down on the surface. Everybody wants to go one for one, but that's not—they're not the same players. And how how people defended Julio will be very different how they want to defend Calvin. They, they just. I, I can't uh, say that enough. Like, we're not asking Calvin Ridley to be anybody but Calvin Ridley. And it's no different than, you know, offensively, you got to adjust. Like, like last year, I'll just go back to Tennessee, for example. You know, you, you play certain game plans when, when Taylor Longwan was healthy, certain matchups you have and protection and certain things you want to do, but circumstances were he got hurt. And so we never asked uh, Ty Sambrillo and then he got hurt. And we put David Quisenberry in there. We didn't ask David Quisenberry to do things that, uh, you know, we try to play to everybody's skill set. To me, that's the the part of coaching. And just because they both play left tackle doesn't mean they're the same player. And we were able to have success with David Quisenberry in their left tackle. And that's no knock to Taylor or or they're just different players. But that's part of the coaching, that's reality in the NFL. So I don't look at it as hey, we gotta replace this player and it's one for one. And they will be very different offensively uh than than they were last year, and they've been successful in the past game, and that's not no knock at Dirk Cutter, it's just We'll, we'll fundamentally be a little bit different how we play, and we'll never ask somebody to be somebody they're not. So we're excited about the pieces we have, and and we feel very confident going into this season. It's probably
0: the guy that I would be most interested in right now is Mike Davis. Uh, clearly, you're going to come from a system. Doesn't mean you're going to do it here, but you come from a system where – You could rely on a running back to establish a presence, play action, bootleg, whatever you wanted to do off of that. Um, Not many people know about Mike Davis in Carolina, sort of the backup. But he is a big, strong, thick guy for someone who's only 220 pounds or, or whatever that he is. Do you think that Mike Davis, who now really has to sort of become in and be a bit of the answer in the running game, can give you some of that same presence that you got with Derrick Henry?
1: Yeah, just going back to you know, Chris, I, I would never, that's unfair to, to any player to ask him to be. We'll, we'll play it a different way than we played. Uh, you, you can't ask somebody to be Derrick Henry. We just need him to be Mike Davis. And as you said, he's been very productive. He's a physical runner. He's another guy that's that's been pretty damn good as as the season wears on. And as he gets late in the game, he does have that physical presence, but we have Cordell Patterson. We feel can, can give us some carries back there. Quadra Olsen. We'll have good competition back there. And we, you know, we'll be a little bit different approach and that's not, I I can't just print out the blue. say Hey, we're going to go, here's the game plans We're using Tennessee. It's a completely different team. And I think you get in trouble when you think that there's only one way to do something.
0: Yeah. Um, Talk just a little bit about Matt Ryan and what you've seen so far, and and he's a great guy. I, I would have, I, I, my guess is you two already have a pretty good bond. You're kind of the same person. Both of you are just, you know, neither one of you have huge egos. You're just kind of there to get the job done and be able to do it. Your early impressions of Matt.
1: Yeah, Matt, I uh, can't say no good thing about Matt Ryan. Uh, you know, he's a guy that's had a lot of success in the NFL. He's got great humility, um, very direct in his communication, which is, which is great between the, the, a coach and a, and a quarterback, especially between a play caller and a quarterback. Uh, can't say enough about his work ethic. He's authentic, he's genuine, and I, I feel uh, very fortunate to get a chance to work with him at this stage in his career.
0: Yeah, the, the, um, the other part of this football team that now, for me, takes on some real interest is you bring Dean Pease back out of retirement. Mm-hmm. Good, good move, by the way. It was a good move. So Dean Pease, if you want to compare him to somebody, and probably if people are listening this deep into this podcast, they're sort of football addicts anyway. Um, but I think Wink Martindale is a, a decent comparison uh in that wink in in baltimore uh, somebody's blitzing you just don't know who it is and dean's the same sort of guy right that you can sort of you don't really know what's going to happen back there but you know somebody's going to come after you and there's going to be a lot of different looks to it what was the how hard was it to, a to talk him out of retirement and B, to come back in, and, and how confident were you in this guy that you knew, obviously, coaching with him at Tennessee?
1: Yeah, no, I was, uh, you know, Dean reached out to me, so at least I knew he had interest. Uh, so that's how the conversation started. When, and I always joke, and I've been around enough coaches now, if you don't retire early, like Jimmy Johnson or you, you know, if the longer you hang in, I joke with this with my dad. Once you get to 70 and you're still working, you're probably going to work forever. I mean, <laughs> power. To, you either got to retire early and, uh, or you get, you start pushing the 70 and those guys never stay retired. So I've uh, obviously seen it with uh, Dick LeBeau and, and some yep. of the other coaches I worked with, but uh, Dean reached out and, and I feel very fortunate first time going through this as a head, as a head coach and, and, calling the plays on offense you need somebody experienced on the other side and there's not a, a better person to help me and help this team than dean than p so like you said i mean it will, will bring pressure um dean's done a great job where he's coordinated defenses from high school to college to in the nfl and uh like you said that you know that baltimore defense and dean's been a part of that and obviously now a wink I and mean, that's a challenge it was, Wink does a, does a heck of a job. I got a lot of respect for Wink Martindale.
0: You know, one of the hard things, though, when you look at Baltimore right now. They're sort of built from the back end forward. You know, it's not, they're not paying superstar players on the edge, and, you know, they're willing to let free agents walk out of there. But that secondary is rock solid. Uh, And a lot of veteran ball players back there that can get the job done. You guys, on the other hand, are going to have a lot of inexperience on the back end, just from the standpoint. I think there were four safeties on the team last year, and now there's going to be new ones. You're going to have a draft pick, probably probably in the mix you've got young cornerbacks on the outside um the the defense hasn't been very good I mean let's just face it it hasn't been the strength of this football team uh over the past few years I think they've been in the 20s uh, probably high 20s the last few years as you look at them right you've got good players I mean you've got Mm -hmm. Grady you've got Dion you've got some guys that could play over there where do you see the opportunity on the defensive side
1: well, yeah, certainly, you know, at the corner, right? I think AJ Terrell is a, is a terrific young corner. We're excited to get to work with him. You know, on the back end, you know, some of these, uh, some of the free agent signings we made that I think will really help us, uh, you know, as as it surrounds some of the pieces that were already there and some of the young draft picks, so, you know, on the back end, you know, signing Eric Harris and Daron Harmon, those, uh, those signings don't get a lot of attention. Uh, that, you know, they don't happen right right away in free agency. But those guys are quality veterans that played a lot of a lot of good football snaps, and they definitely bring your football IQ up back in, in the back end. And they'll definitely help Richie Grant or Jalen Hawkins and some of the, the young safeties that we have. And uh, inside and then Fabian that you know, he's another guy we signed as a free agent. He helps with some depth at corner. He's got some good uh, experience playing in Washington. And then in the middle, you know, with the linebackers, you know, you talk about Deion Jones and Foyer and Michael Walker and uh, Brandon Copeland and guys that we we feel like we got a good mix in the inside linebacker room. And then up front, I mean, it's a little bit, you know, what they've done in Baltimore is, is you've got a lot of volume guys, the guys are a lot of length, and you never know where these guys are coming from. And so that's one thing I think we'll, we'll have in Atlanta. You know, we signed Barkevious Mingo. In a one-year deal, we got Stephen Means, you got Dante Fowler out there to rush the, rush the edge. Um, and you got Grady inside and Tyler Davidson. We got a good mix. So we're excited. We just need them to play as, as a unit. And you've got to adapt. If you don't have four guys that can just pin their ears back and uh, rush the passer, uh, you, you got to get creative. And, and I don't think anybody uh, does it as well, or certainly Means uh, has a history of, of coordinating a lot of creative and sound defense. So excited
0: that he has uh, probably the one i 'm that everybody reaches an age where you you have to make decisions, right Alex Mack has been the center there for a long time. And, man, it sure is nice to have that center position covered by a guy that could turn around tomorrow and coach your offensive line. You know, there aren't just many of those guys walking around mm-hmm. um, the, the league right now. Um, but he was older, goes off to the 49ers uh, this year. Tell me about that decision.
1: Yeah, when i talked to Alex. Um, you know, Alex has got, I got a tremendous amount of respect for him. It's no different than any of the veterans that have been there. Uh, Carlo Allen, I mean, all these guys, you got to make tough decisions and um, Alex you know obviously felt like he still had good football we couldn't af- afford to bring him back that's pretty much what it came down to and uh but gosh he, he done a heck of a job in Cleveland and I thought he really a big turnaround they had early on here is when they signed him in 2016 I mean I think that was a a big signing for them here in Atlanta and he certainly left his mark here but uh, as we transition now to Matt Hennessy, and we drafted Drew Dahlman uh, you know we signed, again, another uh, free agent move, Josh Andrews. It gives us some flexibility at, at guard. He's also a guy that can play center if we had to. You, you have to. That, that, the business is it's so critical. Um, but So I, I think the other thing that helps, too, is what allowed us to, to bring a guy like Drew Dahlman in is the rule that you have to have a lineman up on game day. So if you do have a backup center only, whether that's Matt or Drew, it allows you a flexibility where two years ago you never could have done that.
0: You, uh, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, got a high standard in your division, right? You've got a football team in Tampa that has arguably the greatest player in the history of the game. Uh, The entirety of that team has basically come back. The entirety of that coaching staff has come back as world champions. Um, So you find out right away where you rank in the National Football League. Is that a good thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the life in the NFL, and you got to embrace it. It's, uh, I mean, New Orleans is, you know, they've won this division four straight years, and they, they still they, – there's a lot of history. Sean Payton done a, an incredible job down there, and one of the few coaches that has sustained success over a long period of time in the NFL. So between Tampa and New Orleans, and we know what Carolina's building up in there in Charlotte. So it's a, it's a tough division, but they're all tough. I mean, it's the life in the NFL –
0: As you look back on your career, tell me, everybody has a turning point, right? Everybody has something that that was sort of the moment I think back on is being the point that that really gave me a chance. What was that moment for you?
1: It was probably when, uh, well, I'd say two, I'll cheat here. Uh, Probably Mike Malarkey giving me the shot. Uh, to be the tight end coach, Uh, you know, I've been Mike's assistant and learned a ton from him, but uh, I felt great appreciation and and a big responsibility because of, you know, how he wanted things done in that room. And so, and then when Mike Rabel gave me a shot to be the coordinator. So both those two were were huge moments uh, for me. And like I said, I got so much respect for both those guys and, and thankful for the opportunity.
0: Arthur Blank's the one ultimately has to pull the trigger on you. As you're going mm-hmm. through the interview process with him, what was that like? You you had to have some feel for a guy that had established himself to the extent that he had in the business world, and having those conversations, what was what were your interviews like with Arthur?
1: Yeah, so on the, on the back end, before I took any of these interviews, I tried to do my own research. Uh, I'd read his book, you know, and talked to people who had he had worked in Atlanta. Uh, you know, I wanted to do my, my due diligence as well before I ever stepped in any of these interviews with any of teams, uh, as much as I could. And so I, I knew what his, what his values were and what he was about and felt very comfortable from the beginning. Um, you know, going through his history and his business life going at Home Depot and, and going through that and that, that, the book gave me a lot of insight. And then just, uh, right away, uh, you know, the first interview was in Zoom, uh, Felt pretty good about it, and then when I when I got to Atlanta and went to his house to interview in Buckhead, I felt felt pretty confident walking out of the interview that we it hit it off, and that uh, if he gave me a shot, that I would I would probably take it. So,
0: you you were a hot candidate, obviously deservedly so. Um, was there anywhere else that you felt like was close that that you had to sort of man? If that one comes up, I'd I'd have to think hard about that one.
1: Oh, no, I just just try to take it all in. Uh, like I said, just a lot of like life is the timing and luck, and um, you know those were the jobs that were open in this cycle, and so um, and you never know if you get a shot again. So it just I think everything. I felt fortunate that everything kind of fell my way.
0: At the at the end of everything, as you look back on it, and you're thinking back about your family and growing up and the circumstances that surround you. In many ways, for me, you're one of the greatest head coaching stories I've ever seen. I mean, there's a thousand different ways this works against you and doesn't happen, right? Now you're here and you got an opportunity. Is there something that you took out of having your family, its history, FedEx, nine siblings, all of that that you think is at
1: the core of who you are? Well, I just think it, it, I give a lot of credit to my parents and, and my family, and the way we were were raised. And uh, I think a lot of things helped me prepare for this job, being in a big family, uh, constant chaos around the house. You know, we were one <laughs> of those families that everybody was always welcome. We always had friends over cousins. And I think some of the chaos has certainly uh, helped me deal with a lot of people in this job. So uh, like I said, it's all I've ever known and uh, and it's it's, they're all excited i know this they, they definitely sold a lot of uh tickets in atlanta when they when i took this job so that probably helped from a business perspective
0: if you're looking for chaos you're in the right business i'll say that for you hey before i get you let you get out of here there was news yesterday about carl Nassib, the first uh, openly gay player to ever publicly let it be known during his playing career um, I think that anybody who's been around the National Football League long enough knows that there have been gay players in the National Football League for sure. a long time. There has been a pressure um, to not say things. We're in a new day and age. Thank God we're finally here. What do you think the significance of that is? And will you talk to your team about it at all?
1: Well, it's certainly significant. Um, and like you just indicated that you know i think football um if you take a step back and and you've been a huge part of your life clearly and and, and my life i think from the outside I, I don't think people realize how welcoming a football locker room is it's, it's the ultimate melting pot if you really look at it a, at, a, at a at this country i mean think of the characters that are in, the, in a locker room i think that's so unique from other sports and how everybody does get along and if you could play and you're a good person nobody really cares what what anybody's you know personal life and what they do but uh it certainly was a huge statement and it took took a lot of courage for, for carl to come forward and we are at a new age and i think we're definitely more accepting and um certainly gives you hope as you're raising kids that, you know it's a more welcoming world uh you know i don't know how it was for you you know raising four kids but certainly i've got three young ones and it's uh, a different climate that they'll, they'll they'll grow up in than the one that i grew up in. so I, uh, you know, I get I a lot of respect for Carl and any, any conversation, you know, we encourage our players, you know, to speak up, speak for themselves and it's an open dialogue no matter what the topic is.
0: Yeah. I can remember a roommate of mine, an African-American gentleman, I won't say his name. I'll let him tell his own story, but it, it was startling for me to hear the story of him <sighs> basically saying that when he drove to his house, in a nice neighborhood in a gold Mercedes, that he would get pulled over a minimum of once per week, a minimum. And I said, What? He goes, Yeah, you know, just sort of the way it was and wasn't bitter about it at all, just sort of that's just the way it was. I said, I would have lost my mind. How do you not lose your mind? You know, I've just explained to him, Yeah, this is my car and that's my house right down there. And, you know, and, and unless you've lived it, or you've been in that locker room or experience. I just felt like one of the great advantages I had in life, and I'm sure you feel this way too, is that you had to live in that diverse environment. Not that all of us didn't make mistakes in that diverse environment and have conversations that today would make us uncomfortable, but we all lived it, survived it, and came out much better off for it at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a, going back to to football in the locker rooms. Uh, you know, it's just the, the friendships you make, and and the, it breaks down so many social economic barriers. That you know, in my experience, certainly you go back to my family, and that's one thing my brothers and I love playing football. It's part of the reason my dad kind of steered us towards it. I mean, there's very unique, not a lot of sports that you, you have that, and certainly as you get going and and uh, you know, high school obviously can be depending on where you're at and what school you're at. But when you get to a big college football locker room, you're going to get a lot of people from all walks of life and it opens up your eyes. And you have certainly, you have a lot more empathy. Cause I, like, like you're talking about, i never experienced anything like that, but it it opens up your world and you, and you hear other people's experiences. And and like I said, it gives you great empathy and you try to make sure you're always uh open-minded and helping whatever it is because you, just because i haven't seen it personally it doesn't mean it doesn't happen and it clearly it does and it, and and like i said there's nothing like that locker room and and, it, and the barriers it breaks down
0: arthur can't thank you enough for taking the time to uh to come on and be with us today i i'm i'm happy for you cheering for you i hope it all works great and i know you and your family are gonna have a great time uh as in atlanta and head coach of the atlanta falcons
1: i appreciate it chris thanks for having me on
0: all right, I want to thank Arthur Smith for being our special guest here today, and we hope you will subscribe and review this podcast whenever and wherever you may be listening to it. Uh, and we have some tremendous guests upcoming as we now begin this final scream towards the beginning of the 2021 National Football League season. I am pumped for that. We do the first game on opening Thursday night. Um, and we do the last game of the season with the Super Bowl so it's going to be a great year looking forward to it and thanks for tuning in